Welcome to Peak City Church. We pray that this message fills you with hope and encourages you wherever you are. Also, follow us on social media at Peak City Co. to stay connected with us. Be blessed. Thank goodness, man. Thank goodness for all that God is doing here. And shout out to everybody joining us online. Can we give it up for our online crowd watching with us today? Can't wait to see you in person. Just know you are, you are not alone. Many people in this room are with me right now. I can see many of their stories. Um, they started exactly where you are, watching online, watching from a phone, watching in your living room, and then they ended up here. So we can't wait to meet you. And, um, you know, before I jump in, uh, we're going to be in John chapter 3. If you want to get to John 3, you can. Uh, if you don't have a Bible or don't uh, really want to follow along uh, like that, I'll have the words on the screen behind me. But um, I do want to continue just to, uh, we don't talk about it a ton around here, but I'm going to continue to just echo the, the thing that we need to hear, which is if you're committed here, if you follow Jesus and you love him and you're committed to the mission here, uh, I want to continue to encourage you to give financially. Uh, we are, uh, uh, we don't say this every week, but we are a non-denominational church, which means we don't have a denominational headquarters in some other state that's financially supporting this thing. Everything that happens in this house is funded by the people of this house. All right. If you call this place home and you're seeing what God is doing, when I hear that number, 40, over 40 people, because we had four more last service, over 40 people who gave their lives to Jesus in the last month here. If you call this place home, you should not take that for granted. That is insane. It is, is wild. And the more we grow, the more needs we have. Um, we don't ever make it sticky around here by like, we're never going to pass an offering plate here. If you've ever been in church and they pass a little offering plate and guilt you into giving, we will never guilt you into giving. What you give is between you and God, and um, I believe as you see God move around you that you should give joyfully and cheerfully to say, let's, let's keep doing it. All right, so uh, if you want to give, we got wall boxes in the back of the room. Uh, we've got our website, peakcityco.com. Those are easy, easy, easy ways to give, and, uh, and it makes a difference. Every time you give, there are needs being met in the community, lives being changed here in the house, and so let's keep doing it, all right? Um, <clears throat> John chapter 3, where I want to take you today. Um, I want to start off by saying... Um, this, I am growing more and more scared of social media every day. <laughs> I am more and more terrified of scrolling the feed every day. Scrolling the feed has become the new surfing the channels, right? If you, if you tell a young person today, I surf the channels, they're like, what is that? What, what is this sport of which you speak? Uh, and they think it, that phrase sounds crazy. I think the phrase scrolling the feed sounds crazy. <laughs> that also sounds insane. But like these feeds, these, these algorithms on social media are um, so locked in. Like they know you at a deep level. Um, I know that they know me because the, the videos that I'm being suggested to as I scroll the feed are really locked in. Um, I mostly get two types of videos that are suggested to me. I get preacher clips because I'm a preacher, and I get nature clips. Now, that sounds holy. That sounds holy, holy, holy. Um, it sounds like, oh, my pastor just loves preaching and he loves God's creation. No, it's a specific type of nature clip that I get recommended. It is the violent nature clips. I hear, I'm here to confess to you, I cannot stop looking at violent nature clips. And I know you're like, oh my gosh, that's sadistic. Like there are a couple of accounts if you wanna follow them. Nature is metal is one of them. Nature is metal. 
and then the dark side of nature. And it's just like bears mauling things, hyenas killing gazelles. It's just violent nature stuff. And I can't look away. And if you're like, if that's sadistic, it's not sadistic. It is the circle of life, people. This happens in the wild. It's food chain. It's just God-ordained violence, okay? I can't, I can't get away from it. But I love it. I love, I love watching it. I love watching nature. I love, uh, I love science, right? I love space. I love SpaceX is fascinating to me. Anything Elon Musk, very, very fascinated by. And I, I do. I truly have like a, a fascination with science. And I, I think it's so funny that when I say that, I know there are a few that are like, huh, I didn't expect to hear that in a church, right? Because there's been this, this um, bad PR nightmare that's outside the church and even inside the church believed by many Christians, that in order to be a Christian, you have to be opposed to science, right? It's this myth that, that being a Christian means you check your brain at the door, and for some reason the church is scared of science, when actually you need to understand I'm not scared of science and many Christians in this room are not scared of science because the only thing that science could prove that would shake my faith is if science can prove that Jesus did not resurrect from the dead. Anything else science discovers, I'm telling you right now, it does not shake our faith at all. Our faith is not built on a scientific theory of how the world began. The Bible is not a science textbook. The Bible is a book that's help, supposed to help you get to Jesus. Right? So science can discover nothing that should shake our faith. In fact, we should love science. We should love science. Science is just the process of humanity discovering how God made it. That's all it is. And we should love it. And so I do. I love science. However, comma and, we should acknowledge that science has its limitations. We should acknowledge that science has actually only discovered so much of the world we live in. Right? There, there is a vast amount of the universe that the, the, the science has barely scratched the surface of. There's a vast majority of even how our bodies work that science is still trying to figure out. There's, there's a vast majority of the ocean and the world we live in that science is like, I just don't know yet, right? It's, it's, it's limited. And I'll tell you where science is really limited. It's really limited when it's trying to figure out why we are the way we are, right? Like science has yet to figure out why you love or originally fell in love with the person that you are sitting next to. Don't, don't nudge them right now. Don't nudge them. You're like, I know. Science, science has no clue, and I don't have a clue either. Science has no clue. Like, I, I know why I fell in love with Brittany. It's a scientific oddity that she fell in love with me. I don't know. I mean, come on, you've got, you've got Netflix trash shows that are putting people together because they're, like, scientifically compatible, and it ends up being World War III. <laughs> science has a, has a tough time figuring that out. Science has a tough time figuring out why everything in your life can be awesome, and still on the inside you can feel... Uh, not content. It's like every variable in your life is awesome. Why don't you feel that way? On the, why are you still itching for more? Science has a tough time figuring out because science has a tough time and, and doesn't have much of a handle on these things inside of us that we call souls. Right? Science doesn't really know much about the soul. Science doesn't know about that thing that has been put inside of you that you know is there, that you know makes you unique and you know makes you more than just another creature. It's, it's something inside of you that produces emotions and thoughts and dreams and desires and science has no clue what to do with it. And it's okay. Science doesn't need to know because we have Jesus. And Jesus knows your soul. Jesus is the master of your soul. 
the creator of your soul. He knows exactly how your soul was meant to work. And in John chapter 3, what we're going to see today is how your soul was meant to grow, how your soul was meant to function, how your spiritual journey was meant to actually go all along. And that's why I'm so excited for. I'm so excited as, as, as today what we're talking about is the science behind the spiritual. The science behind the spiritual. How is your soul meant to work? How are you supposed to grow this thing inside of you and, and develop this thing inside of you that science knows nothing about, but Jesus knows all about? I'm so excited for it because I think that some of you, um, maybe you're watching online, maybe you're here in person and you're new to this, uh, you are on a spiritual journey. Right now, you are on a spiritual journey. If you're new to faith, let me tell you, you're sitting in church or you're watching church, that tells me you're on a spiritual journey. You know deep down that something ain't right. You know deep down that something is uh, not clicking. That's why you're in a church. That's why you're giving this a chance. You're on a journey. I also know that for many of you that have been here for a really long time, maybe you grew up in church, you're on a journey. You're on a journey. Just because you've been in church all your life doesn't mean that life gets any less complicated, and you're still trying to figure it out. And many of us in this room have been following God for a long time. We've been sitting in church rows for a long time, but I've, I, I talked to many people who experience this. It's like, I, it just isn't clicking for me. My faith and my soul and my spiritual journey, it just doesn't seem like it's, it's working. And I think today you're going to find out why as we dig into the science behind the spiritual. I'm praying that faith clicks for you like never before. I'm praying that for some of you that are new, that this fast tracks your spiritual journey so you don't have to get caught up in years and years and years of banging your head against the wall, being in church, but not actually knowing God. I want you to have your soul set free today by learning from Jesus about the science behind the spiritual. Y'all ready? All right, John 3. We in verse 1. <clears throat> Let's jump in. It says, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. And Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can even see the kingdom of God. No one can experience God. No one can truly uh, get through the spiritual journey. No one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Well, how can someone be born when they're old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. All right, pause there for a second. Um, every time I read that verse about a man cannot enter into his mother's womb again, I think about that old SNL skit where Will Ferrell comes out of his mother's womb with full chest hair and like a full-grown man. If you're a young person, you're like, what is SNL? I get it. Um, Nicodemus is on a spiritual journey. You, we know this. It is obvious that Nicodemus is on a spiritual journey. Come on. He is a Jewish ruling council member. He's a Pharisee. He's a spiritual guru. Nicodemus is the one who's supposed to have all the answers. But yet he finds himself here in John 3 coming to Jesus, a new up-and-coming spiritual guru, and he's going to Jesus at nighttime when nobody can see him. What is a spiritual guru who's supposed to know all the answers? What is he doing going to Jesus at night 
and asking him questions about how the soul works. See, people expected Nicodemus to have the answers, but Nicodemus knew, he knew, deep down, deep down, deep down he knew something wasn't right. Something wasn't clicking for him. He was dispensing knowledge and answers that he had been trained up all of his life to dispense, but deep down he knew. So at nighttime he goes to Jesus. He's like, Jesus, what am I missing? My spiritual journey isn't working. This isn't clicking for me. What am I missing? And Jesus says, well, here's the deal. If you want to experience the kingdom of God, you must be born again. Now that phrase, born again, when you and I hear that, we think politics. Right? Born again is a political phrase now. The born again Christian voter demographic. You're about to hear a lot about that at midterms coming up. What, how, how will the born again Christians vote? in these elections. It's, a, it's more of a voter demographic where we've been all lumped in together, right? But back then, there was no political connotation to it. Jesus says, if you want to experience the kingdom of God, you need to be born again. And Nicodemus doesn't think politics, he thinks science, right? What, what does it mean to be born again? How, how can a man re-enter his mother's womb and be born a second time? Like Jesus, scientifically, this makes no sense. And Jesus responds. He says, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. And Nicodemus, you should not be surprised at my saying that you must be born again, because the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going, and so it is with everyone born of the spirit. And I'm sure Nicodemus was eyes as big as saucers, just like you are right now, going, huh? (laughs) Say it again. You ever have a friend who's like really like a big time expert in their field and you start asking them like what they do for a living and they start talking and you don't understand any of it. So you just find yourself going, oh, yeah, okay. Like I, I, I had this friend back in Indianapolis where we used to live. Uh, he was our across the street neighbor. His name was Dan. And I asked Dan what he did for a living and he said, I'm a scientist. I said, I've never met anybody who said I'm a scientist before. I know people study science, but they're like doctors. He's like, no, I'm a scientist. I'm like, what do you do? He's like, I make drugs. I'm like, you sell drugs or you make drugs? Like, I make them. I'm like, tell me about making drugs. And I'm thinking like Walter White breaking bad stories or something, you know? And he's like, well, the molecules, I put them together and then I work on these things. I manipulate these. I'm like, oh my. And five minutes in the conversation, I'm just like eyes glossed over like, oh, okay, you're, you're a scientist. That's what Nicodemus is feeling with Jesus. Jesus just took him to the deep end of the science behind the spiritual. And he's talking in concepts and phrases that are going way over Nicodemus's head and way over our heads. But he has a phrase in there. He has a phrase that is very um, easy for us to grab onto. Right, like a good teacher, if he's gonna explain the science behind the spiritual, there's, it's, it's complicated. There's a lot that goes on, but let me give you some tangibles you can hold on to. He said it's like this. You understand this flesh gives birth to flesh. And you understand that, right? Like you were born, your physical body came into existence through your mama. Flesh gave birth to flesh. And, and, and you had absolutely nothing to do with it. You had nothing to do with it. And some of you are like, I know, I wish I'd had something to do with it. I get to choose my parents. I get to choose my height. I didn't get to choose anything about me. I wish I could have had something to do with it. You had nothing to do with it, though. You were, um, the, 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 the way to understand this is that when you were born, you were unconsciously surrendered to a process. You, were un, you weren't even aware of it. 
right? You weren't even conscious. You were unconsciously surrendered to this process. Inside of your mother's womb, your cells were being brought together. Inside of your mother's womb, your DNA was being formed and written, right? Inside of your mother's womb, you were receiving nutrition and, and nourishment, but you had nothing to do with it. You were unconsciously surrendered to a process. And Jesus says, just like flesh gives birth to flesh, I want you to understand that if you want a journey with God, if you want to experience spiritual renewal, if you want your soul to be healed, spirit must give birth to spirit. The only difference between your physical birth, where you were unconsciously surrendered to a process, and your spiritual birth is that now, instead of unconsciously, you must consciously surrender yourself to a process. You must consciously come before God and say, God, I can't Fix me. Because you know you can't, right? The deepest holes and wounds inside of your soul, your abandonment issues, your insecurity issues, the fact that you don't feel love, the fact that every conversation you walk away from it and you wonder whether or not they're telling you the truth, you've got such trust issues, those soul wounds, you can't fix them. You don't have the capacity. You don't have the skill set to address them. Jesus is trying to get you to see that if you actually want to journey with him, and I know this is not good news, I know it's going to be a hard message for the rest of the time, I'm sorry. If you want to heal your soul, you're going to have to come before God and consciously surrender yourself to a process. You aren't the expert on your soul. And, and I know that for some of you, that just makes your head spin. Like, what does that even mean? Like, what would I do? Like, how, how would I consciously surrender myself to a process? And what would that process even look like? Like, what, what does that mean your head is spinning? Nicodemus was in the same spot. Look at the next verse. Nicodemus says, how can this be? How can this be? I have to consciously surrender myself to a process just like when I was born as a, as a, as a baby. My physical birth is going to be like my spiritual birth. What does this mean? And Jesus says, you are Israel's teacher. And you don't understand these things? He said, very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people don't accept our testimony. I have spoken to you about earthly things and you don't believe me. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? He said, no one's ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, me, the son of man. And just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, that's an Old Testament reference, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. So the Son of Man must be respected. So the Son of Man must be revered and regarded as the expert that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. See, Jesus is looking at Nicodemus and saying, you want your soul to be healed. Something's not clicking on your spiritual journey. Something is is not being addressed inside of you. You feel like you're not close to God. You feel like your soul has issues. (laughs) He said, you're going to have to trust the only one who is an expert in your soul, and it's Jesus. You're going to have to come before the only one who knows you. See, Jesus is trying to say here, you, you, you must lift up Jesus. You must lift him up. You must respect him. You must revere him. You must treat him as the expert. You can't treat Jesus like you treat your doctor. You can't treat Jesus like your doctor. When your doctor says, hey, you need to lose 15 pounds, and you're like, all right, next month maybe. For now, Mickey D's. I'll get to that one day. You, you, you can't trust Jesus. You, you, you can't treat Jesus like you treat your mechanic. Mechanic says, hey, here's all the stuff that's wrong with your car. And you go, yeah, 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 you ain't getting my money. Give me that car back, right? And you end up pulled over on the side of the road three weeks later. <laughs> it's like, no, no, you, you're going to have to actually trust him. 
You're going to have to actually let him be the expert on your life. You're going to have to, if you want your soul healed, if you want to experience the kingdom of God in all aspects of your life, you will have to give up the one thing that none of us in this room want to give up. You will have to give up control. I could feel the wincing. You got to give up control. You don't have what it takes to fix your soul. You don't know how to fix it. You don't have the capacity to fix it. You're going to have to trust Jesus to be the expert, and you're going to have to give him control. And I'm telling you, nobody in this room wants to give up control because every single one of us are control freaks. You a freak. (laughs) I'm a freak. We all a bunch of freaks. Let's have like a group therapy session. Come on, this is true. We can say it all together and just be liberated by it. On the count of three, we're going to say, we are freaks. One, two, three. We are freaks. You probably never thought you'd say that in a church. <laughs> but you are. I am. We're a bunch of freaks. Every single one of us in this room are control freaks. If you are married, you're a control freak. 100%. There might be one of you in the relationship that's more uh, easy to spot in your control. Someone else in the family does something you don't like and you are outspoken and verbal and everyone in the room knows that you're mad, right? If it's not your way, it's the highway, everyone knows. And that's why everybody in your house kind of walks on eggshells around you, like, oh no. Everyone's living in fear of disappointing you at all times. You're a control freak. But don't act like on the opposite side of that marriage, there also is not a little bit of a control freak. Because on the opposite side of that marriage is someone who knows how to play you like a fiddle, On the opposite side of that is someone who knows to hide certain pieces of information from you or say things in such a way that doesn't set you off and they can play you and they love doing it. They're a control freak. You're a control freak. If you're a boss, if you lead employees, you are a control freak. You sit up at night and you think, man, how much further would our organization be if I had the right people on the bus? How much further would be along if if everyone was meeting their quotas? Instead of being grateful for the fact that you have employees that are actually helping your business survive this insane economy, instead of looking to the good things that they're doing, you just can't stop. You can't be content with where you are. You're always looking to their weaknesses, not their strengths, because you are a control freak. But let's not act like the bosses are the only control freaks. Because if you're working for a boss, you too, my friend, are a control freak. Because you sit around and you critique everything that boss does. You sit around, every time they lead a team meeting, you go, pfft. And deep down, come on, deep down, you know that you think you could do it better because you're a freak. <laughs> you're a control freak. Everyone, that's, if, you're a, if you're a teenager in the room, you don't get out of this one. I, I know I've, I've used adult illustrations. I've lumped your mom and your dad and everybody else in there with employees and bosses and spouses and all that. If you're a teenager, you are a control freak. I know it. And parents of teenagers, you better be ready to just... PeakCityCo.com slash give, set up your recurring giving, because I'm about to help your family right now. I'm about to help your family right now. Teenagers, the fact that you are rebelling against every boundary that your parents put in front of you is because you are a control freak. It's because for 13, 14, 15 years, your parents have controlled every aspect of you, and you're sick of it. (laughs) You're a control freak. You're a freak. I'm a freak. We all a bunch of freaks. Nicodemus was a freak. Nicodemus was a religious leader, leader who was raised up to believe 
that he could earn the approval of God by following the rules. That meant that he believed the approval of God was within his control. If he was good enough, if he was smart enough, if he followed the rules, God would love him. He, he was a control freak. But what Jesus is trying to get through to Nicodemus here is if you want the kingdom of God, if you want God to work in your life, if you want him to work in your marriage, if you want him to work in your career, if you want to experience God in all of his fullness, you must surrender control. You're going to have to do the one thing that nobody wants to do. You're going to have to give up control. You see, God cannot work with a soul that is not surrendered. God cannot work with a soul that is retaining control. This is why so many people come to church all of their lives. I see it, I see it, I see it, I see it too many times. So many people have been in church all of their lives. They sit in church every week. They listen to every sermon. They sing every song, but they still don't experience the kingdom of God. It's because they can sit in church every Sunday. They can read the Bible all day long. They can listen to worship music nonstop and still not surrender. They can still only follow Jesus when it works for them. They can still only follow Jesus when it's convenient for them. They can still only obey the sexual ethics of Jesus when it works for them. They can still only be generous like Jesus teaches us to be generous when it's convenient for them. They only follow Jesus when it's under their control. It's like they're getting on a roller coaster. Roller coasters are the ultimate control freak experience. You get to get out of control for a little bit as long as it's in your control. You get to step on that thing and woo, out of control, but I will decide when I get on. If it's in my schedule, God can't work. God cannot flow through. God cannot change you. God cannot address your soul until you have surrendered control. Surrender control, which is really what it means to, and here's the big religious phrase, Here's the big religious phrase you've heard time and time again. To surrender control is really what it means to believe in someone, which is exactly what Jesus says next in our last two verses, verse 16 and 17, the most famous verse in the entire Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him surrenders control to him comes before him and says, God, whatever you want, whenever you want, wherever you want, my answer is yes. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. And whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only son. He's not asking, you need to understand, when Jesus, John 3, 16, that if, if you believe in Jesus, you would not perish but have eternal life. He is not talking about um, someone raising their hand at the end of a peak city service or someone at some big revival praying a prayer just to get hell insurance. He's not just saying, hey, intellectually believe that Jesus exists and that'll be your get out of hell free card. That, that's believing something, not believing in something. You believe that God exists, well, James, the brother of Jesus, would say, good, so do the demons. Believing that Jesus exists, is that's, that's just history. You got to believe in him. You got to surrender control to him. You got to come before him and say, God, I don't know what to do, but you do. You're the expert of my soul, you lead me. God, my answer is whatever, wherever, whenever I'm in. You know what I need to do. And I'm telling you, when you get to that place, when you come before God with a heart surrendered, 
He will begin to lead you on a spiritual journey that is unlike anything you have ever experienced before. It's unlike anything. See, when you come before God, heart surrendered, soul surrendered, Jesus, I don't know what to do, only you do. Jesus, you know the depths of my soul, I don't. Jesus, you are the great physician of my life. Whatever you want me to do, wherever, whenever I'm in, I will surrender control. I will now believe in you. When you do that, I have seen God take those souls and lead them to do things that they never would have done on their own. I've seen God take those souls and lead them to have conversations with their loved ones that have been swept under the rug for 20 years. Hard conversations. That's what their soul needed. They'd been neglecting it for 20 years, but it's the thing that their soul needed. I've seen Jesus lead souls to do crazy things like write a letter to a deceased loved one because you didn't have the courage to say it to when they were alive. And I've, I've, seen, I've seen it happen where they just have to get off their chest what they were feeling and experiencing and they've got to process through it and they'll lay that letter on the grave of the deceased loved one. And it's, they would have never even thought of that, but it's what their soul needed. I've seen Jesus lead people to confess sins in their life that are 10, 15, 30, 40 years in the past to those that are around them just because they just needed to get it out. I've seen people check into rehab because they're struggling with things that even the ones who are closest to them don't even know about. I've seen Jesus lead souls to abandon careers that made them a lot of money, sometimes even to sell what they have and give it away because Jesus, the great physician, has pointed out that the material possessions that they have have choked out their soul. And what good is it if a man profits the whole world but loses his soul? And I know you're like, man, Petey, it sounds like if I surrender to Jesus, I'm gonna have to do a bunch of really, really hard stuff because none of those sound fun. It sounds like it's gonna be painful. Yeah, it is. Because your soul, you need to hear this every single one in this room, our souls are sick. Our souls are not right and you know it. That's why you're here. Our souls are not right. And it's gonna take some surgery. It's gonna take some, some hard things to get them right. And if you'll come before God and do it, I'm telling you, he will lead you to do things that are so difficult, that are so complicated, that are so painful, but they're exactly what your soul needs to do. And on the other side of it will be healing. On the other side of it will be wholeness. On the other side, you'll feel like you're walking with God and you'll feel like eternal life started now, not when you die. You'll, you'll see that Jesus truly is the great physician of your soul, you'll see that it was worth it. I had a friend, um, he's a friend of several people in this room, been at this church for a long time. He recently had heart surgery. And uh, it's funny because he, he, he told the small group that we were in at the time, uh, he told us that his, he just wasn't feeling right. Breathing was off, heart rate was off, he just felt, felt a little off. And he found out there was something that was severely wrong with his heart. I was like, man, isn't that so indicative of how it is with our souls. That oftentimes we just think, like we can just send something's off, but it doesn't seem that, like that big of a deal, but really God's got major, major, major soul surgery to do inside of us. 
and he, and, and he goes to have this big heart surgery done, and he knows it's going to be big, and he knows it's going to be uh, a big deal. We're all praying for him. But he told me that <laughs> the nurse that was with him right before he went under for the surgery, she said, hey, um, give yourself some grace in your healing, because it's going to be a long road of healing. It's going to hurt. And uh, she said, I know that they've called this a treatment or a surgery. She, she said, it's less of a treatment, it's less of a surgery, it's more of a trauma. It's going to hurt. And uh, just give yourself grace. It's going to take time. Uh, but this is a trauma what you're going through. It's going to be hard. And uh, if he had known that in the beginning, <laughs> I mean, right before he's going under, it's like, hey, this is going to be bad. Well, it's too late now. <laughs> if he had known that in the beginning, if, if the initial consult with the doctor was, I'm going to put your body through trauma and it's going to hurt, can we get a second opinion? <laughs> See, if, God, if you knew everything God was going to lead you to do, you'd probably never do it. But on the other side of it will be exactly what you need. On the other side of that pain, on the other side of that hard conversation, on the other side of that, on the other side of surrendering control is exactly what your soul needs. And it's gonna be hard, but it's gonna be beautiful. It'll be so worth it. It'll be so worth it for you to stand before God and to say what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 139 when he says, search me, O God, and know me. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me, God, and lead me in the way everlasting. Maybe that's the prayer you need to pray to God today. That for the first time, for some of you, it is me for the very first time ever, you surrender control of your life to Jesus and you say, I believe in you, whatever, wherever, whenever I'm in, God, I'm yours. For some of you, I think it's a decision that you've been needing to make for years and years and years. That maybe you have intellectually always believed Jesus, but with your life, you have never believed in him. You've never given up control. And today for the first time, you say, God, I don't know what I need. I just need you. I need you. And I wanna give you the chance to make one of those decisions today like we do every single Sunday. So would you stand with me to your feet? If you're new to Peak City, we do this every weekend. It's a moment to respond to what God has spoken to your heart today. It's not a moment where we parade anyone or anyone's decision around. We keep it private between you and God. And that's why we ask everyone to bow their heads, to close their eyes, to create privacy. And if you know that um, you've been wandering for years, you've known deep down that your spiritual journey is not, not clicking and you've been searching for the answers and, and you've never come to Jesus but you know now that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You know that he's the one who your soul belongs to. He's the one who created your soul. He's the only one who knows how to fix your soul. And if that's you, you don't have to have your life figured out. You don't have to have the Bible memorized. None of that. You just have to be ready to say yes to the unconditional love of Jesus that was expressed to us through his death, burial, and resurrection. You just have to come before him ready to say yes ready to say, I surrender control. And if you wanna do that for the very first time today, to become a Christian, to become a follower of Jesus, I want you to raise your hand on the count of three as a private decision between you and God. One, two, three. It's beautiful, I see those hands, that's incredible. Several people in the room, that's amazing. It's awesome, you can put your hands down. Maybe you've been in church all your life, or maybe you've considered yourself a Christian for many years, but you just know deep down you've always held tight onto your life. You've held tight onto control. 
and for the very first time, maybe in your entire journey with God, you want to say, Jesus, I surrender control. I believe in you. Would you, would you do surgery on my soul? If you want to open yourself up to God like that today and commit yourself to whatever, wherever, whenever he asks it. I want you to raise your hand on the count of three as a, as a recommitment to God. One, two, three. That's beautiful. Hands up all over the room. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray and ask him to do this inside of us. This is not, this is not something we can do on our own. Jesus, we come before you and we recognize our desire to maintain control of our lives. And today I speak on behalf of our whole church and I say we relinquish that control. We give it back to you. We don't know how to fix our souls from the inside. Only you do. And so God, I come before you on behalf of our entire church and say we are ready. Whatever you want, God, wherever, whenever, our answer is yes. God, we believe that pain and and heartache that the enemy intended to destroy us that you will actually use it for the healing of our souls, that you will take what the enemy meant for evil and you actually will turn it for good. And so we sing that to you as a declaration today. We trust that you're gonna do this work inside of us. It's in Jesus' name we all pray together by saying... Thank you for joining us. Subscribe to our YouTube channel for weekly recordings of Sunday service and follow us on Spotify and Apple Music for weekly audio recordings and podcasts.